Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Anshaw.net. In defence of Father Sheehy. Last week, a sermon from a Catholic priest was live-streamed and recorded from a church in the Stoll in County Kerry, and it went viral. The sermon was from a priest called Father Sean Sheehy, and in his sermon, he decried same-sex relationships, contraception, trans rights, among other things that fall under, for want of a better term, the terms and conditions of Catholic dogma. It became national news, almost a scandal, with most of the population of Ireland calling him out from beneath the altar. Now, regular listeners to this podcast won't need me to tell you that while I completely disagree with his views, he didn't say anything that was against the Catholic Church's teaching. And when you take away the tone of his sermon, or even his attitude, or, you know, potentially his his personality if if you, if you wish it isn't anything different to what's being taught in most primary schools in Ireland now naturally many of you won't agree with me saying that so in this episode i'm going to make that case and use this opportunity to explain that if i were the minister for education why we really need to remove all religious influence from schools in Ireland so things like this are seen for what they are Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a weekly podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else you might know who might be interested in primary education about the podcast and if you like this or any of the previous episodes of our podcast, please leave a review. Now, someone once told me that one of the greatest successes of the Catholic Church in Ireland was convincing the majority of people that the religious dogma is simply Irish culture. And it really stuck with me. And it's funny because you can see examples of this all of the time. For example, a couple of weeks ago, half of Ireland was up in arms about a live crib being removed from the mansion house because it was our culture being wiped away without a single thought of about being cruel to animals. But even that alone, whatever side of the argument people were on, I didn't hear a single comment on the religiosity of the crib because it was implied as being part of Irish culture. A Christian crib is Irish culture. Or maybe widening this out a bit, let's look at Christmas for people who call themselves Catholic. Okay, so I'm not talking about people like me, uh, atheists, who can do what we want really. We can use Christmas for whatever we want. We can use Christmas as shopping if we want to because we don't claim to be Catholic. You know, but let's look at Christmas for people who say they're Catholic. And, you know, people who are Catholic have convinced everyone including themselves, that there's nothing religious about Christmas anymore. Sure, it's not a religious holiday, you know, and, you know, even though they say they're Catholic, I mean, the the, the entire foundation 
of the Christian faith is based on the Christmas story. But it's not about the religion, really. But the thing is, I recognise, and they should recognise, that for many people who actually are, are Christians, who are Catholic, they don't consider it a cultural event. They consider it central to their faith. And I love, do you know, I, do you know what I, I actually, I get a bit of a, a kick out of this. I don't know, I get a kick out of strangest of things. I love listening to radio shows when it comes closer to Christmas time and they send some poor presenter out off into some Catholic school to do these vox pops with children, right? About what Christmas means to them. You know, this, every year it's the same thing. And inevitably they go to it because they have to go to a Catholic school. The teacher has to uphold the Catholic ethos of the school. And, you know, because... And even if they don't believe it themselves, because, you know, actually it's only cultural, but because they they work in the Catholic school, they have to share the Catholic message. And this is, I mean, this point I will uh, get on to in a minute. But because they have been coached by their teacher, the kids all say, although they've asked Santa, let's say, for an Xbox or something like, and, and everything else, the real meaning of Christmas is the birth of Jesus Christ. And I love it because I know the majority of people that are listening to the show don't share that view anymore. And they chuckle along because at some point in their lives, they also believed the real meaning of Christmas was the baby Jesus. And many of them stopped believing that. It was a true story. And now it's just a cultural thing that probably didn't really happen. (laughs) But it's, you know, gas and everything else. But the problem is, they forget it isn't a cultural thing for everyone. Take, for example, another example of a guy who is called Alphonsus Cullinan. Now, if that means nothing to you, fair enough, unless you live in Waterford, which in this case, if you don't know who he is, it really kind of proves my point later on. He's the Bishop of Waterford. And he was in the news a few years ago because he said that schools shouldn't be practicing yoga or teaching yoga. And the reason for this, he said, is that yoga is a Buddhist ritual. And the Catholic schools should not be practicing Buddhist rituals. and um, They should be practicing the similar Catholic rituals when Catholic meditation, which is, involves praying. Well, I tell you what, if you don't remember this, he was slagged off by the parishioners of Ireland as <laughs> he's so out of touch. He's living in the past. And in fact, I saw teachers openly stating they were, going to, they were actually going to start teaching yoga in defense, in defiance of his stupidity, as they put it. He's so out of touch. What a stupid man he is. <laughs> they were all saying, there's nothing religious about yoga, said Middle Ireland. But uh, do you know the thing is, I'm sure they didn't ask a Buddhist how they felt about that. And never mind someone with deep Christian beliefs who would share that view. However, Let's move to today's or this week's outrage against someone Catholic doing his job in spreading some of the messages of his church to his parishioners. It's no different to the times where the church goes from being its usually covertly prejudiced, benign entity to this more overt one where the things they believe bubble out over from under the carpet where they're usually stored. And given that I'm recording this over a week since it happened, in case you can't remember... (laughs) <laughs> a priest in Listowel was recorded preaching against things that go against Catholic teaching. His manner was fire and brimstone, and he does have a backstory of shaking the hand of a convicted sex offender, so neither of those would probably help his cause, and bluntly, I don't have any time for him. And that's not going to bother him in the slightest, because I don't, I, don't, I don't subscribe to the Catholic religion. He doesn't care about me, he cares about his own flock. 
However, if we take away his history and take away his tone, perhaps, there is nothing he said that does not fall in line with Catholic teaching. Nothing. In fact, I go as far as saying that everything he said is taught in primary schools in Ireland. Perhaps not explicitly or as explicitly as this, this, this guy, but by what I would call sin by omission, to borrow one of the phrases. The Bishop's Conference, which is in charge of everything that happens in a Catholic school, is consistent with this priest's rantings. Because the Catholic Church seems unhealthily obsessed by pe people's sexual habits, the place this is most seen in the vast majority of Irish primary schools is in the RSE programme, the Relationships and Sexuality Education programme. Now, I could dedicate the entire episode of this podcast to prove my point simply using RSE as, uh, the, as, as my um, argument. And don't worry, I will talk about it a lot probably in this episode. But even a cursory glance will show you that the Bishop's Conference is fully in line with this Listol priest's musings. And here is what it says. And it's in black and white. It cannot be omitted that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's an example of a direct quote. Reading it another way, it says, when teaching about marriage, it can only be taught that it takes place between a man and a woman, not between a man and a man, and not between a woman and a woman. There are no examples of same-sex relationships in any of the Catholic books. In fact, there is no positive reference whatsoever to LGBT uh, plus rights in any of their guidelines. The only sexuality that is discussed in Irish primary schools, Catholic Irish primary schools, is heterosexuality. Everything else is completely ignored and while it's not overtly stated that homosexuality is wrong the complete absence of even saying a word about it says just as much now many people will disagree with me on this and they point out that it simply isn't true simon you're out of touch maybe you should stick to your own lane as someone might say because because i somehow don't have any idea of what goes on in catholic schools I know what goes on. Some will tell me that they do teach children about same-sex relationships and so on. And I remember someone telling me that in her experience, and she wasn't a teacher here, Catholic schools, by the way, Simon, you'd be surprised maybe, Simon, that Catholic schools are much better at dealing with transgender children than Educate Together are, for example. And I, I, I was kind of baffled by why the person said that to me. Like, and what did she mean when she said it? And, and maybe that was her experience. I mean, I mean, I'm not naive enough to think as well. It is not the like it isn't teachers that are bad people. I don't think the teachers are, are don't want to do the right thing. Of course they do. I could I've seen the voting for the abortion rights. I've seen the voting for marriage equality. But when you're in a job, you know you have a role to play. So I know that teachers outside of school are obviously going to be as as empathic and as as warm and as nice and as kind as anyone as anybody else uh, who isn't catholic you know i'm not saying catholic people are bad i'm not i'm just saying when you're in the role of a teacher in a catholic setting you have a role to keep and you know we we, we know all that but you know I, I you know and i know that a lot of teachers in catholic schools rebel against what the catholic church tells them to do when they can but I, I often ask the question then is, yeah, okay, fine, you're, you're putting up a pride flag or you're, you're teaching about the, you know, um, you, you might mention um, uh, same-sex relationships or whatever, or might be or whatever it is. But I, I ask the question is, would you do the same thing if the priest was in the classroom? And I know the answer to that is no, you wouldn't. If the priest or a bishop even was near you, you wouldn't do it. And you'd be told not to do it as well. 
if you were if you're going well i'm going to do it you're principally right down to telling you cut it out mister you know where you're in we're cutting out mister miss miss i don't know what people call their teachers in catholic schools anymore do you call miss something or other is mrs something or is it miss i don't know and um, that's a whole other whole other area of, of discussion but your principal coming down to you would be telling you pretty quickly knock it on the head if you think you're going to be doing that it's easy to break the rules if there's no one there to enforce them. It's like going over the speed limit, let's say, on the road until you see a guard car up ahead and then you slow down very quickly and hope you haven't been caught. That's what I'm, that's a, probably the best analogy I can think of. Do you know, if, you know, and I suppose people will still like to disagree with me, but what I will do then is, you know, the only way to prove my point is essentially, the only way to prove my point is to basically find examples of public displays of teaching things that fall foul of catholic dogma that's a very difficult thing to do in ireland I, I, i'm sure you'd be surprised to hear and the opportunities don't come up very very often in fact there are only two examples i know about and i've spoken about them on this podcast a good few times the first one you will unlikely be familiar with i came across auntie ben it was the first irish lgbt plus uh, friendly children's theater production um, I've spoken about it on the podcast before. It's a very tame but very good piece of theatre that explores difference. The thing that made it an LGBT plus friendly uh, theatre production was that it was that the main character's uncle performed in drag. And there was nothing controversial in it really at all, actually whatsoever. And it received and it actually received some funding from the Arts Council so that any school across the country would be paid, a bus would be paid to bring them to the theatre and see it for absolutely free. Now you don't get an offer like that every day, a free bus and a free class trip. Now guess how many denominational schools signed up for this absolutely 100% free production? Now, do I, I, I don't think I, do I really have to tell you it was zero? Do I really have to tell you it was zero? Of course I don't have to tell you it was zero. Not a single denominational school showed the slightest bit of interest in going to see it because they knew they couldn't. If you don't believe me, I found a second example and it's the unintended consequence of the INTO LGBT plus society's annual competition, Different Families, Same Love, where schools are invited to celebrate different people that make up families in Ireland. And over the last five years, almost no denominational schools are ever in the short list of winners. And if you look at any other competition in Ireland, any other competition in Ireland, you would expect 95, 90 to 95% of the shortlist to be denominational schools because 90 to 95% of um, schools in Ireland are denominational in nature. And, but in this case, none of them feature. In other words, they don't enter the competition. And to me, this is more than proof enough. And anyone I've questioned about this admits they don't enter because they don't want any trouble. That's what they say. I have to ask, what message does this send out? And I would garner the message that it is sending out is very little different, is very little indifference to the one that Father Sheehy spurned from his altar. However, some people won't even be convinced by this. And they say things like, they've never seen this sort of behavior in my school. This sort of thing never happens. I've been teaching for 30 years and I've never seen this in my school or any of my friends' schools. And I've never heard anyone talking about it in my school. And do you know what that sounds like to me? 
That sounds very much like what a lot of people used to say about sexual abuse that was going on in Catholic schools back in the day. And it really surprised me that people used that as a defence. Well, I didn't see anything. Oh, okay. Well then, you're off the hook. The thing is, it's happening. It is happening. And it happens in a lot more, it even happens in your own school. Whether you, you know, and I'm going to have to show you examples of this, obviously. So we have to look at the facts anyway, because people say, well, I didn't see anything. So we have to find facts. I've I showed you facts about the LGBT thing there, about the competition, different around me, same love, and anti-Ben. But that won't be enough. That won't be enough. You, you, I want more facts, you'll probably say. They're not real facts. So let's look, at, let's look here at another unintended consequence of something else that helps me out here in my argument. And it's the admissions bill, which was passed in 2018 and only came really into schools in 2020 when it was actually uh, you know, enacted, let's say, that, that schools had to. Um, do this. So what it was supposed to do was supposed to ensure that children would not be faced what was popularly called the baptism barrier. <laughs> that wasn't really a thing. I remember people arguing, sure, no, we allow everybody into our school. But basically what it did was it allowed Catholic schools to prioritise Catholic children into their school over non-Catholics, even those in different parishes. And as part of the admissions bill, schools had to write new enrolment policies. And there were two parts of this policy, which for me were very telling. So forget about your argument that, well, we always let anybody in. Nobody was ever being turned away. Okay, we have to look at the fact. The fact is your enrolment policy. Your enrolment policy will tell you everything you need to know about the facts of a school. So the first, the first thing in every Catholic enrolment policy is there is a line that states that admission to the school can be revoked if it can be proved that the child could undermine the ethos of the school. Now, people argue, we didn't want that in its illegal requirement. It's there. And nobody out there, I, well, I've never seen anyone publicly out there arguing against it. Or certain if uh, I, I imagine there were people higher up in the church, and I know there's someone high up in the church who did fight against this, but no one down there did. None of the actual people on the ground did anything about it, are doing anything about it, or questioning anything about it to a level where it's reached the public sphere. It is a shocking line in a, in a policy. And... It's there. In, you check your school's policy, and if it's not in your school's enrollment policy, um, well, you're, you're, you're defying the, the, the you're defying, you're, number one, you're breaking the law, but number two, number two, you're defying the Catholic thing. If it is there, well, maybe you should be questioning whether, you're, um, whether there is any harm uh, in Catholic schools at all. But forget that. More telling was the second one. And before I tell you, I want to back it up with an experiment I did a couple of years before it. Okay, so many of you will remember the time of the baptism barrier, okay, and how it became international news and it featured in the New York Times when Nicky Murphy, personal hero of mine, an Irish parent, and I have to say Irish parent because most people say, when those foreigners, if they don't like what we do here, they should go back to their own country. Nicky Murphy, you couldn't get a more Irish name even, <laughs> an Irish parent, she wasn't able to get her child enrolled in any school in her postcode simply because she didn't baptise her son. And the usual litany of excuses were unleashed from, well, we simply need more choice, we need more choice. Though that brigade, or the oddly familiar, that doesn't happen in my school, or any school I ever knew. And at the same time, a petition went viral, where thousands and thousands of people signed to demand that this baptism barrier, as they called it, was removed. Now, I didn't sign it. And the reason I didn't sign it was because I wasn't convinced that simply enrolling a non-Catholic child in a Catholic school or even a non-Jewish child in a, non in, a, in a Jewish school was going to solve the bigger problem. And the bigger problem uh, for me was that 
what happens to children when they actually end up in their local denominational primary school and don't share the religion of that school? And when I raised that issue, I was shouted down by the majority of people who believed fully that their practices were fully inclusive. Apps, of course, the, ch- the, what, the, the you know, I, we agree with you. Yeah, it's not right that children shouldn't be able to enroll based on their. Once they're in, we're fully inclusive, they will say, and you'll still hear that all the time. And it didn't matter what I said or what I did. So what I decided to do was, eh, do you know what? Let's 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 put it up to you. I created a website that offered schools the opportunity to prove that once and for all. Show me how you're inclusive. All they had to do was fill out a tiny form that would take 30 seconds to explain how they accommodated children that were opted out of religion in schools. I made sure that every single school in the country got the information a few times, thanks in in fairness to the IPPN who were incredibly supportive and backed me all the way with this and actually let me publish an article in their their, um, leadership magazine, which is read by by 99% of principals. Um, I also wrote to every school with the link to the to the survey and as well as that I asked every patron body and management body to pass the message on to their schools and just as an aside um, I, I also non-religious ones uh, as well now um, the National Parents Council and the INTO actually didn't bother replying to me and the only patron body that replied was the Jewish one to tell me they wouldn't be cooperating just thought I'd mention that as an aside however I didn't expect any joy from the patron bodies anyway as you'll see in a few minutes. However, given the schools were spending half their time telling me and everyone else how inclusive they were and that no child enrolled in the school was ever left out, I expected they wouldn't have an issue with expanding on these claims. And I gave them 18 months, 18 months to prove that point with several reminders. And guess how many schools filled in the form? Less than 50, less than 50. That's less than half a percentage of schools. And as an experiment, on top of that, because people say, ah, that doesn't prove anything. I decided I'd run several other surveys that weren't about religion um, at the same time, at the same time, loads of them. Um, and on average, within a two to three week turnaround, because that's what that was a fair one, we had a minimum, I had a minimum of 400 responses from schools. Now that's eight times the response of uh, at least uh, most of them had over a thousand responses so you can see the difference so when it came down to publicly stating what their inclusiveness actually looked like 99.5 percent of them refused to cooperate i spoke to loads of principals over the 18 months about this and tried to convince them in person why they should fill in the form and they had no hesitation explaining why they couldn't fill out the form even if they wanted to essentially they knew They weren't inclusive and they knew by admitting that in writing that children sitting at the back of classrooms every day clearly doesn't look good and they wouldn't put that in writing. And many simply said as well, but we're a Catholic school and if non-Catholics want to come to our schools, they have to accept that we're a Catholic school and we shouldn't have to apologise for that. People say that all the time. When when, When you push even slightly, you're going to get that. That alone, as I said, isn't great evidence. So I was glad that when the admissions bill was published, schools were now forced to publish how they accommodate children who had been opted out. So my little website, fine. Who's, people, people will say to me, you know, why, why, why would I fill in a form for Simon Lewis, that mad, secularist, raging atheist guy? I get it. I, 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 I mean, I get why would I do that? You know, unless I was going to, you know, unless just to prove me wrong. But um, when it became law to do so, what happened? Well, instead of telling people what actually happens, the patron bodies 
told their schools that their enrollment policy must state the following and the following only. Parents that wish to opt their child out of religious education must make an appointment in writing with the school principal to discuss what arrangements may be made. Now there's a lot to unpack in the unsaid in that sentence, but suffice to say they simply defied the law. Because by overtly stating how minorities were being treated in schools, it would not look good at all, would it? And this is my point. Rather than overtly stating um, what, similarly to Father Fashihi, this is how we treat your children. We say nothing. So by saying nothing, we're trying to get off the hook that we're no better than Father Fashihi. Now again, I'm not massively concerned about the patron because they're doing their job. They're the Catholic patron. They, that's their job. They're overtly telling you to uphold the Catholic ethos. But in some ways, I can't really blame the schools either because ultimately I know how vulnerable their position might be if they did stand up. But almost none of them did anything about it at all. Not a word. I challenged several colleagues about this and people I know I can trust, people who are friends, people I know who knew I'm not going to fall out with you over it, but I want to know the reasons. And I heard every excuse under the sun. From not really seeing it as an issue was the main one, to not wanting to upset the old parish priest. He's a lovely man. I don't want to be upsetting him, the poor man. And un as understandable as all that was, schools were and remain to be complicit, complicit in hiding how religious schools tolerate opted out children. As I've said before, the baptism barrier did not disappear. It was simply moved inside the school building and shoved under the carpet. So you might understand why I am fairly frustrated by this, these very same people admonishing Father Sheehy last week. While his manner might not be palatable and he certainly can't be described as a people pleaser, he is honest in his convictions. It was interesting to see the bishop's reaction even, which is more in line with the school's line. He said that for these issues to be spoken of in such terms, a weekend parish mass was not appropriate. That's what he said. Now, words are important, as you all know. If you actually break down that comment, for these issues to be spoken of in such terms, a weekend parish mass was not appropriate. I suppose he's not disagreeing with the priest's viewpoint. He's not happy that it took place in public. <laughs> That's what he's not happy about. In other words, what he's saying is, if you say anything, say nothing at all. That's what he's saying. But what really got people's goat was when I tweeted that Father Sheehy's message was no different from the very same messages that are required to be taught in Catholic schools. And while the majority of people seem to agree with me, a significant number of people challenged me in varying degrees of respectfulness. As I said at the start of the episode, one of the greatest successes of any regime is to convince people that what you are doing is cultural. It leads to everyday invisible occurrences in schools where teachers lead the children in prayers and sing songs about Jesus without even thinking what they are actually mean. It also leads to bigger situations where schools host a church service at Christmas where children sing carols and a priest leads the service and then they're surprised when a family objects. 
And of course, it leads to utterly bizarre situations when confirmed atheists write articles in national newspapers justifying, no, no, actually celebrating that they are allowing their daughter make their communion, even though they don't believe in it at all. Even I was shocked at the, by the last example when it happened. But it's so normal that in Ireland, most people talk about May, the month of May, as communion season, in much the same way that from now we have to endure Christmas season as soon as Halloween's over. And if you work in a Catholic school, I'd love it if you did me a favour. Think critically about anything you do during the day that is, at its root, a Catholic or Christian ritual. It could be saying prayers, it could be blessing oneself, it could be active, it could be doing an activity in a book that is Christian in nature, including Christmas, because, well, you know, the clue's in the name. But even if you don't do that, do you know it doesn't really matter? Because if you're not doing the following, you are not following what you are supposed to be doing as a teacher in a Catholic school. And let me tell me, let me tell you what you are required to do. You know, this is the thing. A lot of Irish teachers say, well, we don't do any of that. <laughs> we don't do any of that sort of stuff. Ha! And laugh at me. Like, but this is what you're required to do if you're a teacher in a Catholic school. For a minimum of 30 minutes per day, you are required, required to teach a faith formation program, a Catholic faith formation program. The faith formation program isn't at its root, let's all be nice to each other, the default position of anyone defending Christianity. Like if you listen to that Joe Duffy interview with Father Sheehy, the number of times people seem to want to reduce Christianity down to love thy neighbour is almost comical. Not only because it's just one verse of the entire Bible, which has lots and lots and lots of verses, but that might be the core message, and it might, while it might be the core message of Christianity, it isn't the core message of Catholicism. Catholicism is just a branch of Christianity and it has rules in order to be part of it. And as a teacher in a Catholic school, you would have had to have done the certificate in Catholic education. And I'm sure it was more than just teach the kids, love thy neighbour. Otherwise, it's a fairly long course for one, for, for basically three words. You can't just simply ignore it because it's cool to ignore it. That'd be like me refusing to teach the Learn Together curriculum and simply reducing it down to, you know, lads, be kind to each other there. There is an entire curriculum and it has to be covered for 30 minutes a day. And that's what's required of you. But that isn't all. Thanks to Rule 68, which although no longer required by law, the Catholic bodies have ignored the fact it's no longer required. And if you work in a Catholic school, you are required to follow the tenet. And this is it, Wilds Rule 68. Religious education is by far, and it does say by far, by far the most important aspect of the school day. And it must permeate throughout the school day. In other words, everything you do in class must respect the Catholic faith. And moreover, if there is a way to integrate Catholic religion into a subject, then it should and must be done. This is why you are required to lead your pupils in prayer a few times a day. And this is why assemblies must contain a Catholic message. This is why you are required to attend a church. This is why you are required to prepare children for sacramental preparation. This is why you cannot discuss things that are against Catholic teaching. And I'm not stupid enough to think any right-minded teacher is going to overtly teach what that priest was saying. But I'm not stupid enough either to think that any teacher is going to teach the opposite. Because I know what people do is simply not speak. They don't say a word. They don't mention it. And I'd be interested on Monday if any of the kids asked their teachers about, well, what was that about the Father Sheehy thing? How they're going to explain to the children what happened there. Because if, and, and do that as if there's a priest standing in the room with them. 
you know, as I explained to you, you know, before in the examples, but not just in these examples, in any part of the school day. Hence why same-sex relationships aren't taught, for, exa uh, for example. Hence why whenever a non-Christian festival is taught, it's taught in the third person. And when a Christian festival is taught, it's taught in the first person. They do this, but we do this. This is, you know, this is what I mean. And because 96% of schools are controlled by this dogma, all of the school textbooks um, that are commercially available follow that dogma too. Look up any primary textbook and see if you can find a reference to same-sex relationships and try and find a textbook that doesn't discuss Christmas or Easter in the first person rather than the third person like they might do in discussing the Chinese New Year. And the only exception to this might be Halloween, although this is now technically, I suppose it is technically a Christianized version of the original pagan festival of Samhain and Catholic schools are supposed to actually rather than what they actually do, which is just dress up and eat loads of sweets and show films on Netflix. And Catholic says what actually supposed to do is it's Catholic interpretation. And in case you don't know what that is, according to the good Catholic website, which actually exists, Halloween is the first day of our all Hallowtide, the time of year when the living, the church, uh, when, when the living, the church, honor all the dead in Christ. The saints in heaven, as well as all the holy souls detained in purgatory on their way to heaven. <sighs> but sure, it's only cultural and the kids dress up and eat the sweets, you might say. But I ask you again, what are you supposed to teach? You were supposed to teach that bit, the good Catholic bit. You are required to teach the Catholic viewpoint. And that's why you make your Advent calendar pictures after midterm break. But sure, that's only cultural too, right? And while you're at the top of the class not telling children about the evils of contraception, transgenderism, whatever that is, or same-sex relationships, you are also not acknowledging them either. Therefore, a child in a class that has parents of the same sex is not acknowledged in the classroom, and you can't acknowledge them, and to me, that makes you no better than that priest. And why do I say that? Because if you think about it, you say it too, albeit in another context. And here it is. And this is, this is why I'm blaming you, saying that you're as bad. Let's flip this to another bad thing. Bullying, okay? So we've got bullying is a bad thing. So you teach children, when a child is being bullied, when a child is, when a child is being bullied, one of the lessons you teach children is don't be a bystander. Because being a bystander, and you teach this, is basically as bad as being the bully. If you say nothing, you're as bad as the bullying. And by not speaking up, you're allowing the bully to continue their behavior. And this is something you teach children explicitly. However, when it comes to religion, you are the bystander. And you are. <laughs> there is no way to deny it. Think about it for yourself. You're the bystander. To me, sending a child to the back of the class during faith formation is another example of this Christian message. You are saying to the child, you are not part of our class. You sit at the back doing something else while we come together and leave you out to play on a computer or do some colouring. And the message you're giving out to these children is you are second class citizens of our classroom. Or maybe to put it another way, you are a visitor to your own classroom because you are not included for parts of our day. And I'm not saying this is your fault. You have to do it as a teacher. You have to. You are required at all times to uphold the ethos of the school. You're not telling the atheist child uh, that their lack of beliefs are wrong overtly. But by sending them to the back of the class, and it's always the back of the class, you're telling her that her beliefs are not part of the class. You don't have to explicitly tell her that message. Your actions speak just as loudly. And again, 
It's not your fault. I understand it's not your fault. You have to do your job, but don't go thinking that what you're doing is any better than Father Sheehy. And unless you directly oppose it, you are still no better than the bystander. So I guess while I'm not exactly defending what Father Sheehy said, I am defending the fact that people who act more or less the same way shouldn't be throwing stones. While I have no time whatsoever for whatever that man has to say, I also actively and openly fight against him because I believe them to be evil. I believe what he says is evil. I do. I actually believe it to be evil. He doesn't care because I'm not a member of his church. So he can say whatever he likes. As long as it's not infiltrating into my life, then I guess, you know, that's, that, that's fine. The problem is it does infiltrate into my life. And that's why I'm speaking now. There's no point in for you guys joining some baying mob if you actively or benignly support his views in your workplace. Because that's what you're doing. Likewise, any parent, and I'm not just giving out to teachers here, any parent that puts their child knowingly, knowingly puts their child through the sacraments because, yeah, it's just cultural. You're equally palpable. When you christen your child and when you put them through the sacraments, you are actively saying you want your child to be a member of this church and its rules. In fact, you don't just actively say it. You don't actively say it. You promise it in a church. And, 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 and not only do you promise it, you make a vow. You make a vow. Now, I don't know if any of you are interested in religion really because, you know, it's all fun and games and cultural. But I remember when I was in school and learning about promises and vows. These are various different things from a religious point of view. A promise is something that, that, that might be broken, not, 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 not an error, like maybe an error or maybe because it's very difficult. But a vow, a vow is a step up. From a promise a vow is something that you say in full consciousness and there is no and you you cannot break a vow you just do not break a vow if you are religious you know so what you do when you go when you would think back to when you had your baby you take a vow you renounce satan and evil and you profess your faith and the faith you want your baby to be brought up in and nobody Nobody at all forces you to bring your child to that service. And nobody, nobody at all makes you vow, makes you make a vow about this. And not just a promise, like a vow that you believe in the Catholic faith and also that you want your child to be raised in that faith. I mean, honestly, what the hell do you expect when you do this? And then how dare you throw stones at Father Sheehy and push for him to be done for hate crimes when all he is doing is following exactly the tenets of the same faith you professed for you and your child. Ah, but wasn't it lovely to get the family together? As I've said before, you can't have your baptism cake or your communion cupcakes and eat them. You just can't do it. However, it isn't just the children sitting at the back of the class or ignoring the fact that same-sex couples exist. The influence of your sinning by omission runs far deeper than that. And I'm going to offer you a few examples in no particular order, both big and small, as to the huge power and influence the Catholic Church has on our entire education system and why it is no worse than Father Sheehy. At least with Father Sheehy, he says, if you don't like what I'm saying, no one's keeping you here. And I could never enter a church in my entire life and I don't think it would make a single bit of difference to me at all whatsoever so in a way the examples I give 
you are far worse because they prevent people like me and thousands of others like me from being employed or going to a school where they aren't a second-class citizen. But I'm afraid you're going to have to wait a little while longer to find out why. Because in the next part of this episode, I'm going to go through three examples of how the Catholic Church still has significant power in the Irish primary education system and how and the effect of that on people like me and thousands of others um, in many, many ways. And also how you might not see the um, invisibility, covert, subtle um, influence they have, but it's very much there and very much part of your everyday and you might mix up with Irish culture. So I look forward to talking to you then. Um, about 20 minutes more of me talking about this subject. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this first half and uh, look forward to talking to you next week. All the best. Bye bye.